0: Blog Talk Radio. My name is Raina Starr. That's right, God damn it. Desperate Housewitches is not a GPG or even an R-rated show, so if bad language, probably function, dirty talk of any kind might upset you, this may not be the show for you. There's also other reasons why this show may not be for you, but that's up to you. Desperate Housewitches is brought to you by the amazingly wicked one, the incredible Dorothy Morrison. Please check out www.wickedwitchstudios.com. This is the month where she is doing her amazing mystery packages. Yes, the magical mystery packages come in multiple ways, with or without Utterly Wicked, one of the best hexing books ever written. Uh, Dorothy Morrison is also doing it with or without a reading, uh, not a reading, a card uh, determination tarot-wise, to determine what will be in the mystery boxes. Or you can have it just be random. There's lots and lots of different ways to get it, but please check out on her social media page, WickedWitchStudios.com, for the link to the sale. Thanks very much. With me for the hour is my friend and my modern Minoan paganism expert, Laura Perry. Hey, Laura. Hey, Raina. Hey. It's great to be back hey. chatting with you. Same here. It's been a minute. How have you been? How are you feeling? <laughs> well, despite the fact that I have uh
1: my voice is doing strange things today, I'm good. Um, Yay. I am uh in the middle of garden season, so I've got corn and tomatoes and all that good southern stuff going out there.
0: Delish. And uh Delish. And
1: I am writing books, as always. It never ends.)
0: <laughs> you, you write a book
1: and you, you write a book and you think it's done, and then years later, it's out of date, and people are like, "You should revise it for a second edition, so you have to write the whole book again. So yeah, it's an adventure.:
0: Wow, <laughs> wow that's fascinating. Which book are you rewriting?
1: The very first Minoan book that I ever published, Ariadne's Thread. Mm. Nice. Yeah. Oh, that's
0: great. Why? So, what anniversary? What anniversary is this for the book?
1: Um, this will be the second edition.
0: Nice. Oh, and,
1: that's awesome. Uh, well, hang on, hang on. I got to do math in my head here. So, it okay. was published nine <laughs> nine years ago. <laughs> Uh, Uh It it was published in 2013. Um, uh, So that's before modern Minoan paganism even existed um, as a thing. Um, uh, Well, the the book has a a long history um, because it's like half of it is about religion and culture and like how the Minoans lived and worshipped and that kind of thing. And the other half is rituals. And those rituals, I actually wrote 20 years before the book was published, um, back in the 1990s. Yeah. Um, I, was in a, I was in a Wiccan coven at the time, and I was working on my second degree, and um, my assignment for, for my project was that I had to write um, a year's worth of seasonal rituals and a lifetime's worth of rites of passage in the pantheon of my choosing. And, of course, as these things go, I didn't get to choose the Pantheon. It chose me.
0: chose um, you. Yeah, I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh, that's awesome. But, you know, and you're the one person that I know of who actually has done the research and and has the real study behind it and I know that there's there's limited information about the Minoans I learned that from you um so you know I wanted to ask you in addition to the fact that you are doing an sort of an well, I guess you would call it an anniversary edition would you is that what this would be considered uh yeah kind
1: of um, it's uh I'm I'm feeling a lot of pressure to get it uh published, so I'm aiming to have it out this year, which will actually be the ninth year after it was first published rather than the tenth. But yeah, we could call it an anniversary edition. That works for me.
0: I think that's really cool. I mean, and I can't even because I'm not a writer, as we all know, and as I have stated many times. why so I talk to writers because I don't have these skills. Um, is there any, I mean, have you felt that there are things that you learn have learned since the first writing since you know your first publishing that are vital to um expanding what knowledge people already have of the Minoans, oh heck yeah, um wow
1: <laughs> excuse me, um of course yeah there's when i when I started out, okay, so when I wrote those um when I wrote those rituals back in the '90s, there was virtually nothing known about the Minoans except the stuff that Sir Arthur Evans published a hundred years earlier, or nearly nearly a hundred right. years earlier. Um, and that was all pretty much anybody knew. Um, and the the Internet was not the resource in the '90s that it is now, and and so. And so I, I did my best with the information that I had at the time. And then um, by the time I wrote and published uh, Ariane's Thread in 2013, there was more information available. Um, mm-hmm. Minoan archaeology really picked up in the 80s and 90s. Uh, they actually found new Minoan sites that we didn't even know existed before then. Um, and so there was, there was a lot more information, but they kind of slotted it all back into the same framework that Sir Arthur Evans had set up. No one was really questioning that yet. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> and then, and then, a new generation of archaeologists came along, and they were looking at the new stuff that had been discovered and looking at the old framework that it was being forced into, and going, "Hey, wait a minute, this doesn't really match so um, yeah we've we've known for a long time that the the buildings that Evans called palaces are really temples, right, so they're just they're very similar to the big big temples in Egypt and Mesopotamia from the same time period. So they're like these big religious centers, but they were also administrative centers that governed, you know, the the local area. Um, so we have figured that much out, but we hadn't really. That's that's the archaeology end of it. That's not the spirituality end of it. And we hadn't done the spiritual exploration. That's that's the really big change that happened between the book coming out and my rewriting it now. Um, when the book came out, I really, really, really wanted other sort of Minoan fans to hang out with, right? Um, sure. I don't know what the I don't know. <laughs> trying to think of a gender neutral term for fangirl or fanboy and it's not um coming anyway fan person anyway fan
0: person, fan person. There we go. <laughs> so
1: um so i started a facebook group and um that's how we ended up with modern minoan paganism is all the people in that group were like hey this should actually be a formal spiritual tradition. It just kind of grew organically. Um, and part of that process was connecting directly with the deities and, mm-hmm. you know, taking, taking all of the stuff that we had learned from archaeology, dance, ethnology, um, comparative religion, comparative mythology, um, Every, all the bits and pieces of what most people would call sort of hard evidence as our foundation, but that only takes you so far because, as right. you know, we we can't read the stuff the Minoans wrote, right? right. It, hasn't it, hasn't, it hasn't been deciphered yet. It's this, this magic, confusing uh, script that we can't read. And yeah. so um, we... Um, we took the information that we did have and wove that together with our personal spiritual experience to create, we're not recreating ancient Minoan religion, we are creating a modern spiritual path because we don't yep. have enough information to recreate ancient Minoan religion. And in that process, um, I guess you could say the deities communicated with us in in various kinds of ways that they were not too keen on some of the stuff we were doing. Um, Like, um, like they they were not too keen on setting um, Minoan ritual in a Wiccan structure. I
0: understand
1: because I mean, I'm a third degree Wiccan priestess. Wicca is perfectly legitimate but it's mm-hmm. a modern tradition and sure. none of the stuff and none of none of the stuff that Wicca is based on like the ceremonial magic and and all of that none of that goes back to the bronze age when the Minoans lived and so we there had to <laughs> yeah yeah so we had to build a ritual structure from scratch and so that, um, and it's we based it on Bronze Age religious practices. So there's no circle casting because that's not something they did back then. Um, the right. rituals begin and end. Be- the rituals begin and end with processions, um, and there's a specific kind of offering uh, practice that goes with it. And um, and so that is. Such a huge difference because um, all the rituals in the first edition of Ariadne's Thread are Wiccan style because that's what I knew at the time, and uh, right. and I'm discovering as I'm doing what I thought were just you know revisions. I thought I was just gonna like touch things up. <laughs> I should have known You're that Right. Um, <clears throat> so I'm having to. To um, break the rituals all the way back down to you know what um, what is the purpose you know and we've even um, we've even uh, changed the pantheon to some extent um, because of our continued relationship with these deities you know um, we uh, we have um, developed. A structure to the pantheon that didn't exist before with the three mothers at the top, uh, Rhea, Tarasia and Posidaya, who represent the three realms of land, sky, and sea. And then they're, uh, the three sons and the three daughters and the other um, the other deities. And so that means I've actually had to change out some of the deities and the rituals as I'm rewriting them because they're no longer appropriate. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah, I was, uh, I was doing.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. Hmm? No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just, I was just going to say that, you know, that's the beautiful thing about having something that's quite frankly, an ancient practice. Okay. but not knowing every single thing about it because I think that's the kind of structure that chokes things off. We have all these conversations lately about, you know, the old guard, quote, unquote, you know, who don't want to see things grow and change to accept all of, you know, the beautiful things that humans can now identify themselves as or feel about themselves. So it's kind of groovy that you're able to adjust a lot of things to be more inclusive and be fresher and newer. It's this, you know, as a gardenerian myself, it's hard. It's hard to get people to shake loose of the way they were taught. It's 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 for some folks they have a really hard time letting go of the past and and changing and growing and and making things. New again and more appropriate for the modern age, so I think it's really groovy that you get to do that with Minoanism
1: Yeah, I think it's I think it's absolutely necessary. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's not just a matter of um, keeping up with the times, I guess, or even you know being fashionable, fashionably inclusive. It's um, it turns out that, that inclusivity, um, you'll notice I'm, I'm using the term deities now instead of gods and goddesses because we're trying to move away from the yep. gender binary in our speech and our yep. concepts um, in, yep. in Ariadne's tribe. Um, <clears throat> it turns out that inclusivity probably uh, was a uh, component of Minoan culture the, the more we learn about matrilineal cultures, the more we learn that that they were so very different from the dominator culture that we live in. Yeah. Um, and so um, the the concepts of, of inclusivity and accessibility also, you know, um, everything that we do from the website to the ritual structure, we are doing our best to... Um, to make it accessible to everyone, so um, it's sure. always legitimate. Always legitimate to um, alter our standard ritual structure to make it accessible, physically accessible. Um, wh- whatever it, whatever you require, um, it is even perfectly legit to do all of our rituals in sign language. So um, we we really need to be. Um, thinking not just about how to how to respect and honor the deities, but how to respect and honor our fellow human beings in the process, you know.
0: Yep. I agree. I think that's very important and I think it's something people forget. And for, you know, a lot of folks I think it's something that There's a number of them who want to forget that. And it's like, no, 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 No. If you really want a a practice that is going to be lasting, you can't afford to be gatekeeping. Because it means everything you thought you were building is for nothing but yourself. And when you die, it goes with you. So I, I just don't understand that that way of thinking to want to keep people out, I think, is ridiculous ridiculous and really short-sighted and stupid all at the same time but you know I'm pretty judgy and I know we're not supposed to be judgmental but fuck it I am I don't give a shit (laughs) I don't care you know I think people who want to keep other people out purposely and hurtfully like that are assholes sorry I said it there you go yeah well
1: um i mean it, if we are if we if we are talking about a pantheon that is presided over by a trio of mother goddesses who take care of their children, that is an example they are setting an example for us right mm-hmm. so how how mm-hmm. does a good mother care for her children. She helps them to be who they truly are, their authentic selves, um, as yep. best as they can possibly express. And she loves unconditionally. Um, she is also protective of those children, but not in a gatekeeping sort of way, only in a, no, you can't come in here if you're going to be hateful. Kind of way,
0: right? Exactly. So,
1: I mean, we're... that's my
0: take on it too. It is the hateful part that that scares me, and you know, listen, we're in a political climate where, for the last seven years, <laughs> to be honest with you, I have been terrified because it, that's what it all feels like to me. It all feels like exclusionary tactics from a you know a political standpoint, like if we're not one of them we're, you know, not pointless but we're not as important. I mean, it's something throughout history that, you know, there have there have always been people who have been marginalized and and now it's in numbers that are just like I mean, I don't know how to get through this life anymore. I'm so glad to not be young to have to first be starting out with people losing rights, left and right more than ever. I mean, I've never seen anything like this. The years and years it took to build rights for folks and they're being swept away in seconds, in days. It I've never thought I never thought I'd see anything like this in my lifetime. Me either. I um I,
1: I cannot imagine the pressure that the younger generation is under just to survive in this world. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, well, because they don't—they don't have anything to compare it to, right? They were born into a world where it's already like this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. True. You know, when I was born, there were roads. Abortion wasn't legal when I was born. It took, I was almost a teenager before that was an actual uh, legal right that people could have that if they needed it or chose it, you know. Um, And now in my lifetime it came in, and in my lifetime it's going out. And that scares me for people who are coming up after us.
1: Let's hope this is a temporary burp, a... um, what's uh, what's it called when um, when you're when a person is trying to get rid of uh, uh, a negative or damaging behavior and they backslide into it uh, an extinction burst wow so let's let's hope that's let's hope this is our um, our culture's extinction burst and that, that after this better things will happen it's, you know, the old guard digging in their heels because they can see that their days are numbered. I mean,
0: that's... I hope that's true. That's, I really That's do. why
1: they're, you know, that's why they're going so gangbusters on all of this because cause they can see that the tide is turning and they're trying to stop it. And, of course, we all know you can't stop the tide.
0: Right. You know... Being that we're still going through a pandemic, and we very much are, you know, folks who think that the pandemic is over, uh, you and I have had this conversation. They're sadly mistaken, but um, I was wondering if you know of the Minoans going through anything similar and maybe how they would have handled what we're going through. Um, Oddly,
1: uh, well, we don't. Um But oddly, the Minoans actually had a really um, really great reputation as like uh, medical marvels in the ancient world um, so it's it 's probable that they actually managed to avoid a lot of the epidemic that uh, many of their neighbors dealt with because um, they had um, they had uh, a very clean water system with aqueducts mm-hmm. that brought water from the springs and the creeks up in the mountains down into the cities. And they had um, indoor plumbing. They had uh, manual yeah. flush toilets where you would go to the bathroom and then you would like take a little pitcher of water and pour it in to flush the toilet. And they had these in, in um, all, the, all the big cities. They had enclosed sewers. So they actually had, there are some ways in which their cities were cleaner than Victorian England, you know, or Victorian-era New York City. Um, sure. And, and so they probably avoided
0: a lot of the um,
1: waterborne and sanitation-induced
0: diseases
1: that were rampant um, until very recently in human history. Um, and so uh, we, uh, we think that they actually uh, were well-known for their medical prowess, that people probably thought that there was a little something magic about them because they didn't all get sick the way everyone else did. Um, but they also apparently were, um, were, were very uh, well-versed in the kinds of medicine that were um, known at the time. There is actually a papyrus from Egypt. Egypt was one of their big trading partners. Because um, they're, their uh, Crete is like it's it's just off it's a short distance off the south coast of Greece, but then it's a short distance south from there to Egypt to the to the Nile Delta. So um, that was uh, Egypt was probably their biggest trading partner for much of their history. Um, And there is a papyrus from Egypt called the London Medical Papyrus, and it includes um, what you might call treatments for disease from the Minoans. Hmm. Um, The Egyptians called them the Keftu. We don't honestly know what the Minoans called themselves. But um, so it includes, um, and of course back then, uh, a treatment for any illness included both, um, whatever kind of herbalism or, or other um, material treatment you were doing uh, at the time, plus some incantations, right, because you need to have prayers um, to the deity, to the appropriate deity for your condition. Um, sure. And so, and so there's, some of that was actually recorded in an Egyptian papyrus, so that's how well-known the Minoans were for their medical prowess. Um wow. So, yeah, it'd be nice if we had some of that medical prowess
0: now um, <clears throat> so this was this information lost, or I mean at some point, Minoan culture there must be a gap correct i mean there there had to be a point where that culture ended or shifted into something else. Is that correct?
1: yes, yes, um so um, it went up with a bang twice. Um, yes. So around. Um, okay, so so most people um, have heard the idea that the Fira eruption a huge um, volcanic island that blew up in the eastern Mediterranean um, back in the Bronze Age. Yes. There was an old theory that it was um, the source of the Atlantis legend because People used to think that the eruption of that island destroyed Minoan civilization. But it turns out, now that we can um, figure out the chronology, we can date stuff much more accurately. Um, Now, it turns out that the Minoans kept on going for several centuries after that eruption. So that eruption happened maybe around um, 1600 BCE. People are still arguing over the exact date. Um, but um, the Minoans kept going for another two centuries or more. But what happened is there was a tsunami that hit every coast all around the eastern Mediterranean because was, it was an enormous eruption. It literally blew the middle out of the island. Um, So that the island that exists today is just a ring. Um, And so it totally wrecked all the cities on the eastern and north coast of Crete, all those Minoan cities. And so they had to rebuild. And something about that, that tsunami damage weakened them economically and politically. And the Mycenaeans came in, the people from mainland Greece, the Bronze Age Greeks, um, came in to help with the rebuilding in some way or another. We're not sure exactly uh, the details, and we don't quite understand exactly why they came in rather than the Egyptians who were such a major trading trading partner before that. Um, mm-hmm. But it appears that the Mycenaeans took advantage of the opportunity to um, gain a lot of power on Crete um, to the point that by about the year 1450 BCE, um, the Mycenaeans had taken over uh, the city of Knossos. And it wasn't really purely Minoan anymore. It was at that point a Mycenaean-Minoan hybrid culture and religion. Um, and, and they were trying to take over the rest of the island, um, and they, they, could, they couldn't do it. There was apparently an enormous amount of resistance, and um, in about 1450 BCE, all the major Minoan cities except Knossos were systematically looted and burned to the ground. And so the, uh, the current theory that the archaeologists and the historians have about this is that essentially the Mycenaeans couldn't manage to take over, so they destroyed it, and they, uh, they probably used mercenaries because at that point they didn't have a huge enough army to do it themselves. Um, but that's, that's, the, that's one of the end stages but Knossos kept going, and it was wealthy, and they, they continued to, to to trade. And, oh, um, that, um, that destruction of the cities, um, that's the reason we don't have very many precious metal items um, from the Minoans. Because really? everything that was of any value in the towns and the temples was taken away and melted down. So the only gold and silver um, items that we have from Crete, come from, from graves and tombs and and other buried places. Um Let but me the ask you,
0: the the desire for the Mycenaeans was it was it a resource situation where they where they wanted to take over the control of the resources? or was it just some kind of a weird grudge situation? I mean, I never understand you know these ancient more ancient things that happen as far as wars go cuz so everything seems to be either based in religion or resources or both. Do we have an idea of what the why they were coming in to, to take over? Um, well, they were they were an ex- expansive
1: conquest driven culture they were kind of coming up at that point they were they were expanding on the greek mainland um and the minoans were wealthy the minoans were incredibly incredibly wealthy um so i'm sure it was a resource thing but i think religion was also kind of entwined in there because the Mycenaeans borrowed an awful lot of minoan religious iconography and practice so I, sus- I suspect given, I mean, back then there was no sort of separation of church and state kind of mindset. People didn't think about the mundane versus the sacred. Um, right. And, yeah, in that era, like the sacred sort of permeated everything and wove through all everyone's lives everywhere. And so I suspect that they took up a certain amount of the religious Iconography and practice, as part of their uh, attempt to uh, to gain the the resources, the wealth, and the trading network, and all of that, because it was all kind of woven together. Um, okay. So, so at that point, um, bunches of the Minoans, the the Minoans who survived, the ones who didn't, um, either. Take to their ships and leave the island, um, or or end up being killed um, during the destruction of the cities. A lot of those people fled into the mountains in East Central Crete. Um, there are um, the the sort of hideouts um, where they lived. There have been excavated. They developed some really uh, extensive communities in the mountains there that were. Um, very defensible, <laughs> and uh-huh. um, and so and so the Mycenians kept going, right? Because they had they had destroyed their competition, and and for another century or maybe a little more, um, they um, they were at Knossos, so it was like another Mycenaean stronghold at that point, just like all the ones up on the Greek mainland. And then, sometime around 1350 to 1300 BCE, Knossos was destroyed, um, burned to the ground. And the current uh, consensus on that is that all of those people who had been hiding out in the mountains, all those Minoans, um, had finally had enough, and um, yeah. and came down and and destroyed Knossos. And so um, that's around 1350 BCE. And obviously there were still people on the island, right? Um it's not it's right. not like suddenly poof magically the island was empty. But um right. from that point yeah, yeah. There, this is not the rapture. <laughs> so um yeah
0: exactly.
1: So at that point um there are there's there's no more government, right? So there's it's it's essentially it's kind of like um, – I hate to use the term dark ages um, for medieval Europe because that's not really accurate. But it's kind of like when after the fall of Rome in Europe uh-huh. when suddenly there was no, there was no more government, there, were, there was no more organization. And so all each locality had to kind of send for itself and, and yeah. do its best to find whatever resources it could. And so that's the situation that people were in at that point. And then within the next century or two, you come to the peak of what's called the late Bronze Age collapse, which is um, a a thing that affected the entire Eastern uh, Mediterranean. um, And it was one of those um, perfect storm kind of things. So there was political unrest. There was. Drought and famine and other kinds of climate change issues, Um, governments fell all over the place. Um, And so that's, you know, between like 1,200 and 1,100 BCE. And after that, on Crete, there's nothing that looks Minoan anymore. Wow. So people were, people were just trying to survive, all the, the fine art is gone, you know the art style, the religion, it's all gone. Um, and so what you have after that is um, folk practices that survive, folk traditions. Um, so that, that's how you get the little threads, the little tidbits and fragments um, that, that continue on through in, in folk dance and folk stories and that kind of thing but yeah, so that's that's when um when Minoan culture can be said to have well and truly ended
0: oh, that's a shame, but again, you know it it, it it it's so sad because some you know a group of people so intelligent and so able to handle and navigate obviously conditions that were rudimentary. And, and do it successfully, and, it, you know, I compare it to now, and it, it makes everything that came after look <clears throat> so dismal, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It took centuries,
1: um, many, many centuries for, for culture uh, to, uh, to make its way back to the point that it had been um, during the height of the bronze age. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I guess this is part of the, uh, the tides of, of human history, right? These are things, uh, you know, empires rise and fall and, and cultures come and go. And just part of that, that ebb and
0: flow. Yeah. I just find it fascinating that, you know, There were people that were so intelligent, and then I look around me, and it's like, oh, my God, we kind of need that wisdom right now, <laughs> you know? It's, it's, for me, yeah. and, you know, where I am, it's, it seems to be sorely lacking, and, you know, I, I worry a great deal about what's going to happen to people, you know, just in general. It, it's just, it's a very scary situation. So I'm I mean, but if the Minoans had were able to have a culture and, and thrive, I guess there's just this thing where, you know, people want to destroy each other for like stupid ass reasons. <clears throat> you don't get it.
1: <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I it is um it's something that has um perplexed me for years.
0: Sure. Sure. That I I I see it. <laughs> why yeah? Why why can't we? Why can't we just
1: all get along? Because then everyone would be happier, and we could help each other, and we could all be successful instead of instead of this imbalance we have. But that's that's the the distinction between a dominator culture and uh, a partnership culture, right? Because the Minoans were a partner partnership culture. <clears throat> And, yeah. um, you talk about, yeah, I mean, it, they, they do seem kind of, you know, sparkly and all like that, but, um, if you think about them in terms of how their neighbors probably viewed them, um, uh-huh. so there's a, there's a lot of evidence they were a bronze age culture, but there's a lot of evidence that they actually continued Neolithic, um, religious practices and cultural values all the way into the bronze age, um, the, the DNA, uh, DNA evidence shows that their ancestors came down from Anatolia, from modern Turkey, to, <clears throat> from like the Gobekli Tepe and Çatalhöyük uh, areas um, during the Neolithic, during the many waves of migration that happened uh, in that era when agriculture um, was brand new and people were looking for new land um, and, and new homes. And so the Minoans' ancestors migrated down um, from that area into the Aegean. Uh, there in in that, that or a similar um, wave of migration, a bunch of people came into mainland Greece, and those were the, um, the people who were there before um, the Mycenaeans showed up because the Mycenaeans were Indo-Europeans who came from the Eurasian steppe. Uh, into Europe in several waves of migration so like human history is all these um, sort of movements of people uh, in in big swaths and layers in and out of different regions Um, and so we can actually trace a lot of the Minoan religious iconography back to Neolithic Anatolia so, like the um, wow. the sacred horn, the sacred horns, and the labrys, and the bull's heads—all of that was already there in like 10,000 BCE. Um, and and so the Minoans—I mean, they they uh, they spiffed everything up, Bronze Age style, right, with big temples and stuff. But a lot of their religious practices um, still harked back to the Neolithic. And so their
0: neighbors,
1: you know, the people they traded with the Mycenaeans and the Egyptians and um, the Canaanites and the people in Mesopotamia um, probably viewed them as sort of those weird Orthodox people over on that Island. Right. Because the Minoans were doing stuff that everyone else had already moved on from. Yeah. So, so that's, you know that that made them different and as far as we can tell, they had a partnership society rather than a dominator society which also would have set them apart from everyone else so um, you know they 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 were sought their goods were sought after their their trade goods yeah. and you know they were they were everybody's friends because they weren't trying to conquer anybody but it's a there's it's a good bet that everybody thought
0: they were a little weird. <laughs>
1: You know, because they cause they still did these ri Yeah, 'cause they still did these these rituals with boulders, you know, and and all this stuff that, that everyone else had moved on from. So you know, um,
0: those
1: those weird those weird old fashioned people, oh, you still do what our ancestors used to. Why don't you get with the time? Boy, that sounds familiar. But Yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, it's, but it's, it's those, um, the Neolithic values that they carried through. It's not just the religion. Um, one of the things that confuses the heck out of archaeologists about the Neolithic settlements uh, in Anatolia is that there is no indication of hierarchy, right? There's There's no... Um, there's no central building, there's no rich area and poor area, there's no big house and small houses, it's all equal, everywhere. And of of course, you know, archaeologists coming from our culture are like, that's really weird, because our culture ain't equal. Um, At all. Yeah,
0: I know. At
1: all. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I mean, Wow. We could take so many lessons from them, and I don't know why we don't. It's just, it must be a struggle to like know that there was this intelligence and willing to live and let live and accommodate and just work together. I mean, how desperate does does an American culture need to get before folks understand that we all are in this together?
1: I'd rather not find out.
0: <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, but, uh... I I mean, I, I I, know, but by the same token, it <laughs> I don't see any other path. I mean, how else yeah. are we going through this dark, dark period now and it doesn't feel like it's going to get light again anytime soon. I mean, you know, I, I, and I totally agree with you. I don't want to have to find out, but aren't we heading that way anyway? It
1: feels to me like um, all of these, all of the sort of leaning toward fascism is... Mm-hmm a a cultural a large scale version of what happens when people feel out of control in their individual lives so they try to hyper control everything Yep. Yep. And so that that's what it feels that's like good. to me it's like it's like on a cultural level the people who are frightened the most by the concept of allowing things to be rather than an authoritarian being in control kind of thing. They're the ones who are leaning hard into this. We have to have control. Um, And honestly, I see that as a partnership versus dominator issue um, because in a dominator culture, people, people are taught that they cannot be safe, that they should not feel safe unless someone is in control, preferably a big man. Um, Uh uh and in a, and in a partnership culture, you are made safe by the network of your community, all of whom are your equals. Yeah. But for someone who's used to an authoritarian system, like people who grew up in fundamentalist Christianity, which is horrendously authoritarian, um, it can be really scary. Yeah. Yeah and it can be really scary to not have someone telling you what to do and what to think and how to live it can be really really frightening to have to um to have to to be responsible for those decisions personally
0: yeah oh that's true you know having been raised by those people um yeah it is very I'm, true I'm so sorry there's, there's never Oh, no, 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 no. It's it's fine. My mother didn't start out that way. She became that way later on. Um, As most folks know, my mother started off as a pagan and then became a Christian, which is backwards and crazy and (laughs) welcomes in my life. Um, But it was very interesting to watch people who had understood the concept of personal responsibility and completely abandon it so that they wouldn't have to be responsible for anything ever again. I mean, it's it's such a childish way to go about life, and you're right. I mean, it, I don't think it's that they find it frightening to have to make decisions. I think they don't want the responsibility, at least in, in what I witnessed, having grown up, with, you know, with these folks. So, I mean... Yeah, I think the idea that they might be held responsible for their choices is more frightening than letting somebody else be responsible for their choices. You, you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's crazy. But, yeah, so I get it. I know what you mean. I I have seen examples of that in my very life. So, yes, I agree with you wholeheartedly about that. But, it oh, wow, we're running low on time. How did that happen? Um, so, <laughs> boy, I guess I talked your ear off. I'm sorry. Um, but as far as what you're writing, you know, you had mentioned that you were doing this updated version of your, your first book. What else have you got in the works? Because I know you, and I know you're constantly creating. <laughs> um, I'm writing a new novel. See. So um,
1: my last novel was uh, The Last Priestess of Malia, which, was, uh, which is historical fiction set in ancient Crete, um, which it's, uh, it's set in that time that I was talking about at the very end when there's a lot of unrest. Um, it is a gripping but not happy book, so um, that's, that's a warning to everyone if you're interested in reading it. Um, but what I'm working on now is a happy one, It's also set in ancient Crete. Um, It's set in the city of Festos. The city of Festos on uh, South Crete, near the south coast. Festos was the second biggest city in ancient Crete. Um, It is set before the Thera eruption, so in the time when everything was still beautiful and sparkly. Um, And it is a gay romance. Um, Yay! The... The main character is the cattle master of Festos, and the uh, action centers around him and the bull leapers. So
0: I like love. Um, I love love stories. Yeah,
1: yes, and so it 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 will have a happy ending and everything. I I figured I needed to antidote the darkness of that first one. Um,
0: I understand so that. that. I mean, we, we really, you know, it's kind of like, listen, there's things that are historical and, you know, even written in a fiction or nonfiction standpoint, and sometimes you just need something happy too. Not one to exclude yeah. the other, but mm. to do both, you know. To, I mean, sometimes you have to have a little salt before the sugar, and there's yeah. nothing wrong with I appreciate the fact that you are able to do both because a lot of folks just they can't do both. You know, every you know, there are folks who are we got to make everything happy or you know, folks who are like everything is shit all the time. So, thank you for being someone in my life who can do both. Yeah, oh, you're welcome.
1: Yeah, yeah, the uh the
0: first one is the first one was a little too Game of Thronesy
1: by the end and so I uh I, I figured I needed uh to brighten things up for my own sanity if nothing else, you know, write a happy story where, you know, the biggest conflict has to do with romance and not um entire civilizations rising or falling.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I love that about you. It is so good. But, um, so when can we expect those books to come out? Um,
1: well, uh, God's Willing and the Crick Don't Rise, the second edition yes. of Ariadne's Thread will be out November 1st of this year. Um, I've, I've got, <laughs> I've got my work cut out for me because it turns out I'm having to rewrite all these rituals and they need new illustrations because the old illustrations don't match anymore. So, but yes, gotcha. November 1st of this of this year, um, the uh, the gay romance Minoan novel will not be out until next year. Uh, I am still hashing out uh, the plot of it because my dear lead character is not cooperating as I'm trying to write his story. Um, oh. so it will be out. It will be out probably next. Spring, uh, spring of 2023. Oh, my gosh. Next year is 2023. How did that happen?
0: I don't get, please, I, you know, one day at a time, one hour at a time. <laughs> I don't know. I'm so, you know, I'm so stressed out and so full of anxiety all the time lately that it's like I can't think past the end of the year sometimes. It's like, God, I hope we're all here uh you know i just i'm i'm so unsure and unsettled because things keep moving and i can't even it's like i don't even have a moment to deal with what just happened before the next thing is happening and talk yes. about keeping people off balance right
1: yeah there's there's a there's a joke that's like you know they say that life is one damn thing after another but the truth is the damn things overlap
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: So, yeah,
0: we like that.
1: They they are they're overlapping
0: extensively this year. I wish they would stop it. Yeah, I wish they would too. It's it's really unsettling. And, you know, I was having this conversation yesterday, and the person I was speaking with said, "Recognize the fact that this is not normal. <laughs> it's okay to be confused and upset right now because this isn't how humans are supposed to operate anyway. So I actually found some kind of comfort in that, knowing that, okay, I'm not just losing my mind. Well, not that that isn't happening, but, you know, the fact that it's happening to everybody and it's it's not that any one of us is losing their mind, it's what is being done around us that is making us feel this way. So I actually took some comfort in that. Um, but yeah, it's it's you can't get used to one thing before the next thing happens. Just like you said, it overlaps. Woo! But well, we're gonna stick in it together. We're gonna do our yeah. best, right? <laughs> All right. Well, we before hang, before we I let you hang in go, there. before I let you go, tell folks how they can find you.
1: Uh, You can find me on my website, Laura Perry, author, A-U-T-H-O-R, .com. That's got links to everything that I do. Um, And Modern Minoan Paganism has a website at com. Awesome. That's great.
0: Laura, thank you so much for coming over and hanging out with me. Well, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure, as always. Same here. We will have to set up a time because I, I really want to talk about your novel, uh, the romance novel, because I, I think, you know, I love romance in all its forms and, and I just need a little bit more of that. So um, when we get that officially hammered down, will you come back and talk to me about it? I would love to. Yay! All right. Well, Laura, thank you again for a wonderful Sunday morning starter. I really appreciate you. Much love to the family, and I will speak with you soon. All right. Take care. All right, everybody. I will be back on Thursday or Friday. I'm Oh, wait. This is yes, I will be back with the 415 on Thursday, and I will see you then. You have a great week. Take care.